0: Welcome to episode 76 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 11th of November 2019. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelim. Hello. Graham. Good evening. And Will. Hello. I nearly forgot what month it was there. can't believe it's already November. But uh, November marks the kickoff of the Linux App Summit, and uh, someone's put a link in here. Who was that? That was me.
1: Uh, Yeah, so there's a channel there. Go to it. And subscribe, ring the bell or whatever those irritating videos I always tell you to do, but they will be posting talks there and uh, get the notifications and watch along with them. Oh, excellent. Because there's KDE as well as GNOME people there. There is indeed. Mm-hmm. At least 50% will be good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if there'll be anything about XFCE. Probably not. Um, All right, well, so later on, we're going to be talking about the Raspberry Pi 4 again and um, installing Ubuntu on it and how we got on. Um, Spoiler, KDE did not fare well. (laughs) It didn't want to. Yeah, yeah, until I turned the animations off. Anyway, enough spoilers. So let's do some news then. So the first one then is that (laughs) Google have got a new WordPress extension, which is open source, but um, is somewhat... What's the word for it? Data hungry. I'm not really clear
2: what it does. It seems to be AdSense and Webmaster Tools embedded inside the WordPress admin interface.
0: Um, Have I missed something? Well, yeah, that pretty much is it. I think what it does is just simplifies what a lot of people were hacking together, putting in the, the various JavaScript and stuff that you need to make it all work. Just in a nice handy extension that gives you like a the heads up dashboard or whatever showing you how your site's performing and all the rest of it with um, search console analytics um insights for whatever you know just all the the bollocks that you're supposed to do if you want to properly SEO your website all the stuff that we are not doing on our website um, so it seems like it is probably really useful for people i don't know why it's open source I suppose. It's just a good look for them to be open source, maybe.
2: What is the open sourceness of it, though? Is it just the client that you embed in the, um, in the website that is served to people? Yeah. The JavaScript, because making that open source is, um, is nothing special, really, is it? Because you could unminify the JavaScript anyway and, and see exactly what it's doing. I imagine all of the services that it's calling out to, well, I'm, I don't imagine it, I'm 99% certain that that is the case, that they're calling out to web services that Google provide, which are not open source. So, Phelim, are you going
0: to install this on all the websites you look after then?
1: Oh, yeah, totally. I'm going to run it on my, on my own machine as well. Yeah. <laughs> If I can give them as much data as possible, I'm going to just send it straight to them. In fact, given their offices here, I'll probably ask one of their developers to come out here and sit beside me all day while he's at it. Yeah, look it over your shoulder.
2: <laughs> <laughs> if you're the sort of person who is monitoring or, or producing websites for customers, this is probably the sort of information that they will be asking you for on a sort of weekly basis. So embedding this directly into a, um, into the website of your client, allowing them to log in and view this information and self-service, um, well, it could go one of two ways, right? It could be that your customer is very happy with this. It could be you make yourself redundant. <laughs>
3: Yeah, you're right, actually. Well, if your job is installing WordPress for other people, then maybe you should be. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man.
0: WordPress does get pretty complicated when you start hacking it and stuff.
3: I know. And I, actually, uh, I say that. It's, it's a great piece of software. <laughs> you know, it's just become a, a cliché behemoth over the mm-hmm. years. Yeah. Well, our
0: site w- runs on WordPress... Uh, And, you know, I have made sure that I've not made any changes to it so it can properly auto-update and everything. But if you do want to start hacking it, that's when you need someone to maintain it because otherwise it just gets way behind with the updates and becomes just a security nightmare. Mm. But I think this will actually help with that because it makes it less hacky. You just install this plugin and then jobs are good at So it's probably good for the health of the web in a weird, fucked-up way. All right, well, sticking with Google, they have open-sourced the SDK and libraries for Cardboard, so you can make your 3D VR bullshit work on phones. But I don't know. I talked about this on Linux Action News yesterday, and my kind of working hypothesis here is this is Google's way of killing it, but they're killing it in a sort of good way by giving it to the community rather than just discontinuing it. But I could be wrong. I don't know. Maybe VR is the
3: future and the present. I think you're absolutely right. I think um, a few years ago, you know, we were all breaking our phones trying these things with Google Cardboard, and a lot of that early momentum disappeared. Especially from Google, they created some really nice apps and or experiences, I think, as they called in VR or AR land. But I mean, this is this is actually coming at a time when I think Apple seems to be doing almost the opposite. They've made some kind of tentative arrangement with Valve to kind of license some of Valve's VR expertise, and it's kind of there's rumors that 2022 they're going to launch some AR. I honestly, I know I've said this before, but I think it's a really great human computer interface and it, it will become, you know, the way that lots of us operate computers and interface with our computers. But yeah, it's such early days because the technology just isn't capable. And that's the same with Google Cardboard. That stuff like, I mean, it's all the tracking and all the clever stuff that um, the kind of, that that stuff can be used in, open, in other open source projects, which is good.
0: I think that it's a mistake to conflate AR and VR because augmented reality is like a totally different thing, isn't
3: it? I think the kind of software behind it's very similar in that you have to track your user space. You kind of you're either. For proper AR, really, I think you want kind of 3D reprojection of the world around you. So you might even build 3D models out of the real-time camera inputs and things like that, rather than just a pass- pass-through that they used to do. Um, so I think they are related if you think of, of kind of AR being a projected image of your world into VR space.
0: Don't you just hold your phone up and catch the Pokemons? <laughs> yeah.
3: I know it sounds all so futuristic, but... You know, I it is I still find it exciting. I think it's sad that Google's probably out of the game for now.
0: Oh, we didn't mention that it's November 2019 if only we were in uh, Los Angeles, eh.
3: Yeah, I know. I know. I mean, this is this is the month that um Roy Batty dies. In the year that he dies. And for real. It's all too confusing. <laughs> yeah. We need a keyboard intro just at that point.
0: Yeah, get on Aww. one of your synths, Greg. I, I, I could
3: literally do that sound if you gave me a minute. <laughs> do it. No, don't do it. We might get sued or something. No, I, I, I'd be inventing it. I could do it. I, honestly, I really could do it. <laughs> do All it. All right, go on then. i just got to find a patch. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that didn't sound anything like coronation
0: street (laughs)
3: did that come out yeah yes
0: Right, well, this definitely can't go on YouTube now with that. It's slightly
3: different. I did it slightly different.
0: Well, who knows where it's going to go, but I suppose it's good that it's open source. It's better than it just dying and going away, but uh, I don't know. I can't see Google contributing to it much. They say they may contribute to it in the future. Yeah, we'll see. Um, all right, well, now we take the piss out of you, Will, for recommending Ubiquity Network Gear. You bastard. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, we had like a whole episode about uh, networking setups and how you'd recommended Ubiquiti gear to fail him. Um, I, uh, there was that case that's ongoing about GPL non compliance and stuff. I don't really know enough about the legalese to know what happened with that. That was a month or so ago. And now um, it turns out that they pushed an update to the firmware, which is collecting telemetry of some description and phoning home with it it sounds relatively innocent but it also was without telling anyone so uh yeah (laughs) failing you must be
1: feeling very confident now well thankfully it seems to only be the edge devices so i don't have one of those because i've got a pf sense box that does my edge on my network so i only have the access control for the wi-fi gear so i don't think it affects me yeah
0: because they're definitely not collecting any metrics on that then
1: I devil, they're not going to get much out of me anyway, but yeah, go for it.
0: <laughs> I think that that register article is
2: a little bit disingenuous. It uses words like slurping your data when what they're actually doing is, uh, is sending crash reports. Now, on the one hand, this is data egress from potentially a, a corporate network into Ubiquitous Network. On the other hand, I see this as a bit like um, your check engine light coming on, driving to the garage, asking the mechanic to look at it, but not letting him plug his computer in to diagnose the fault. This is, on face value anyway, this is error reports and and crash reports. This is useful information which they have said does not have any um, identifying information and is nothing sensitive in there. Whether or not that's true Remains to be seen if you take it on face value. I think that there is value in them having access to these crash reports, it will make things better for everybody. But yet again, they have gone about it. Well, a company has gone about enabling telemetry without communicating it first and without communicating it clearly and getting people to opt in. And we've seen this time and time again over the last sort of well years. Um, it seems silly. They should know the sorts of reactions that people are going to have to features like this. Yeah.
1: And it's it's odd that they say it's GDPR compliant, but not to highlight my lack of GDPR, but I'm pretty sure you have to consent to something before they can take it away. Well, I am not a lawyer, but
2: I think if it's not personally identifying information, like you can't tie it back to an individual, I don't think GDPR
1: applies, but I don't know. I don't believe them because how will they know that it's not a repeat or how will they know that it's not like somebody else with a different bug? You know, they've got to tie it to an ID somehow and that'll be tied to an IP address and I'm sure they're logging that.
0: Well, Linux Foundation to the rescue, eh? They've introduced a telemetry policy.
2: Yes, so any Linux Foundation project which intends to send telemetry data back to the Linux Foundation back to the developers needs to get approval from the Linux Foundation to do that. Um, And they have four criteria which they judge this on. Individual data privacy. So does the data lead to the ability to link back to an individual person? Data confidentiality. Is the data going to be, well, they say business sensitive, which I think is quite interesting. Um, Awareness of collection. So, you know, are you told? Is it opt-in? Is it opt-out? And the security of the mechanism. Could the, the way that that data is sent back be used to um, get other data out of the network as well Uh, and all of that seems like a jolly good
0: idea how does that compare with what you had to go through with canonical legal when you implemented the uh, collection of the metrics for um, the ubuntu desktop then
2: uh, almost identical. Um, we were very careful that the information was not personally identifying, so that the the individual data privacy um, was uh, you know was checked off. That we we knew that it wasn't um, potentially sensitive to an individual. The confidentiality, we said from the beginning that the data was not going to be confidential, that we were going to share it. Um, well, when I left, the, we were very, very close to being able to publish that data, and um, the design team had done an, an in-depth report on all of that, which was getting ready to be published. Awareness, we, you know, we talked about it up front, we got um, feedback from developers, and we told people about it in the first login wizard. Uh, and then the security of collection, you know, we use HTTPS. We make sure that the data is um, encrypted in transit. And then the, our IS team set up all of the database, the storage information. So, you know, that was done by professionals, not by some guys from the desktop team who've read a book on databases.
3: I think um, this is a good thing. Um, what I, I found particularly interesting in that policy is the... Um, the, the, any telemetry data collected must be approved by the, the Linux Foundation, must be fully documented by the project community in its public documentation. I think that's going to be really interesting if any of those companies, I mean, it, if that means they have to say exactly what they're collecting and at which point they're collecting it. They also say that the collected data should be available to all participants in the project community. Um, does that include the people whose data was collected? Sounds um, like it. Yeah. I mean, that that's quite open, and I'd be quite interested to see how that pans out, unless they're just kind of caveats that don't basically get affected.
0: Mm. Or is this just a way to stop people collecting telemetry data in Linux yeah. Foundation projects? If you look at this list, and you have to deal with the legal department, and they're going to basically shut down anything you say, unless it's like really strictly adhering to this, it's just going to put people off, isn't it?
3: Yes, but I don't really see why the Linux Foundation would do that. I I mean, they've they've got lots of companies that are members of the Linux Foundation that obviously do this all the time. So I'd have thought they'd want to set like a level playing field of expectation for for those that want to do this, which is a responsible thing to do.
0: Yeah, we're not talking about just companies that are members, are we? We're talking about um, projects that are under the Linux Foundation banner. Yeah, It'd be pretty funny if it was any company who's a member,
3: so we could get all Google and Microsoft (laughs) and everything. You're right, but um, I mean, it's obviously they're members of the foundation, so it sets a good precedent of how maybe the foundation might expect them to behave, Microsoft. Seems unlikely. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, I can dream.
0: (laughs) You can dream. But there are a lot of projects that are under the the Linux Foundation umbrella now, so... This is good. This is very good. Although the the kind of flip side is that if you're going to be really draconian about it like this, which you probably ought to be, then I think it will put people off. And that will ultimately mean that projects don't get the data that they otherwise could get. But I suppose you have to be proper about these things. You can't half-ass it. And that's what they're saying here, that you you just can't half-ass it. You've got to do it properly. So yeah, ultimately, this has got to be good. But speaking of Microsoft, they've been having this Ignite conference thing. They've uh, had a couple of them going on. Although I haven't tracked it too closely, but, uh, they've announced a couple of things that are going to come to Linux. One of them is, uh, Defender, which is their like antivirus thing, which is pretty funny. And the other one is, um, Edge, their browser. I as well suppose as let's talk about the Defender thing first. Uh, I mean, does anyone use antivirus on <laughs> Linux? I know that's a bit of a meme, but like, does anyone? I think the story here
2: is about Microsoft recognizing that Linux machines are part of an enterprise's estate. And one of the most common... Uh, reasons that I have heard for people not being able to deploy to Linux within their enterprise is that Linux doesn't adhere to their IT policy. And their IT policy is written in a very Windows-centric manner. And so, for example, if the IT policy says you must run Microsoft Defender on your computer, well, now they can do that. It's another tick in the box. So I think this is potentially good news for deployments of Linux into enterprises, um, because it unblocks uh, what was a potential problem, but yeah, the flip side is no, I don't think people do run antivirus on Linux. I am sure they do, but I I don't know
1: anybody that does. Uh, sorry, everybody. A mail <laughs> server maybe, and uh, on a Samba server perhaps, where you know, vastly the clients connecting to it are going to be Windows.
0: Well, yeah, do you ever deploy it then, Philo? No. well you just rely on antivirus on the client machines then if they're windows
1: yeah because i mean most most enterprises are going to have a massive suite of like as will says a whole lot of anti antivirus anyway so and to be honest let's face it antivirus is not perfect anyway so you know you're only kind of catching the dregs of stuff if anybody's going to be really advanced with stuff it's just not going to really stop them um, but I thought it was interesting the statistic that they had that it's apparently blocked 13.5 billion malicious emails in the last while like talk about trying to solve the problem you've fucking created I mean like <laughs> fuck off is what they could do and where the fuck's my
3: 135 euro for my Windows license you thieving pricks <laughs> yeah that, that's called feedback in audio terms they've they plugged the out cable into the in cable <laughs>
0: Yeah. Uh, so what about edge coming to linux then do we give a shit about that nope <laughs> well
2: i i give a shit because it's one of my predictions for this year so ah, it was it, ah, it was always shit. a sure a sure thing but
0: um uh, hang on it has to actually come they can't just announce it uh, you're not getting a point
2: do they is that what we agreed i don't remember that rule it's uh, what I we agreed
0: like, now damn it. <laughs> <laughs> i'll have to go back and listen to it
2: But yeah, the reality is, I I don't know. I I don't think anybody's going to be super excited about using it, but who knows what amazing features they've got. Maybe they'll jump on the privacy bandwagon that um, Apple and Firefox and Mozilla seem to have sort of sparked this war on who can be the most private. Maybe
1: they'll jump on that, but we'll see. I guess if you're a web developer, it might be useful, but with everything bar Firefox using WebKit, I don't even see the point in that, but
3: hey, there we go. Hmm, I suppose, as we've hinted at, it'll help helps people maybe working in a corporate environment where they they may have to use Edge and they may mm-hmm. have to have antivirus, and it helps you know more Linux users in that situation.
0: Yeah, well, that's a pretty positive spin on it. I think we'll go with that. Okay, this episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. Go to do. co slash lnl and get fifty dollars credit with thirty days to use it. DigitalOcean offer VMs, or droplets as they call them, with full root access in data centers all around the world with super fast networking and super fast SSDs. You can use distros like Ubuntu, Fedora, Debian, CentOS, and FreeBSD, or container distros like CoreOS and Fedora Atomic, or you can upload your own custom image. You can either start with one of those distros, or you can just go for a one-click app like WordPress or Discourse or GitLab, and everything's set up for you out of the box. These droplets start from as little as $5 a month, and they have very straightforward pricing that scales with the resources that you want to use. They also have CPU-optimized droplets and memory-optimized droplets, so you can set up exactly the system that you need. They have great backups, and the Cloud Firewall feature means that you can block traffic before it even gets to your droplet. You can attach block storage or object storage to your droplet, which is very straightforward, and they even have managed Kubernetes if containers is more your thing. So go to do.co slash LNL and get your $50 credit. That's do.co slash LNL. On to a bit of admin then. And first of all, thank you everyone for supporting us on PayPal and Patreon. Very much appreciated. And remember, you can get an ad-free RSS feed if you pay $5 per month. And it has come to my attention that uh, people may not be aware that you can support at a lower level. So we've added uh, what we're calling tip jar at $1 a month. So just whatever you want to or can contribute, every little bit helps. You can get the link to that at latenightlinux.com slash support. And if you want to get in contact with us, latenightlinux.com slash contact. And there's a secret hidden level. If you manage to hit it all the way up to four nines, (laughs) fire ahead. (laughs) Yeah, we should add one that's like a million pounds, and then uh, Phelan will have to install Google shit on his phone. <laughs> I'll do <laughs> it.
2: Invite Google
0: around to watch him do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when Ubuntu 19.10 was released, there was a bit of a stealth release as part of it, and that was an image for the Raspberry Pi, or rather two images, 32-bit and 64-bit arm, um, of course. And... That somewhat passed me by at the time. I was aware of it, but wasn't that interested because it's just a server image. But then Sean Davis of Zubuntu fame posted on his blog how to install Zubuntu on 1910 on the Raspberry Pi 4. And so I was like, I have to try this. And I did. And it's a little bit convoluted. Graham, you've also got a Raspberry Pi 4. Did you try
3: this? I did, yeah, I did. It is convoluted, and there are a few kind of teething problems, I think, with the Ubuntu kernel and USB support with the 4 gig Pi that you also get on Ubuntu Core. Um, but I think they're going to be sorted out. But it didn't stop me installing it, at least with one of the images.
0: Yeah, so I went for the 32-bit because, yeah, as you say, there's this bug at the moment that is going to be fixed. And funnily enough, there was a post on the Ubuntu blog um, about the roadmap for official support, which says they're going to fix that bug. The long and the short of it is, if you've got a model with the four gigabytes of RAM, then you need to limit it to three gigabytes of RAM. Otherwise, the USB port stopped working with the 64-bit image. But with the 32-bit image, seemingly I could see all four gigabytes of my RAM, so it was all good.
3: And I actually installed the 64-bit option because I didn't have anything connected via USB. Is this because you
0: still haven't bought a cable to
3: connect it up to a screen? <laughs> the thing is, I bought the Pi 4 to do something geeky with a different screen that the project's kind of on a hold for. So I just, I just, yeah, I know. And it's, it's, it's at moments like this, you just really kick yourself and think, God, if only Amazon did drone delivery within an hour. <laughs> yeah. For the sake of like two quid for an adapter or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So you do this over a VNC session then? Yeah, that's right. So I, ins- so I got a server installed and then installed all the packages via SSH as you would, and then installed type VNC and ran, uh, XFC from there.
0: But it's annoying that you have to have an Ethernet cable. I can't see a way of doing this wirelessly because you have to SSH in for the first login. You can't do it locally. So therefore you have to have Ethernet because otherwise how, I don't know, maybe you could put in some wireless credentials i don't know but i couldn't work it out so i used an ethernet cable just to set it up and then once i had it connected to my uh, wi-fi then i could move it away from it i I did have a a weird issue where i couldn't connect to my five gigahertz wi-fi though
3: i didn't try it i i I kept the ethernet cable in and didn't bother although the, the i should have tried that um maybe i could try while talking but yeah no i didn't i didn't really have any other problems um it's a difficult problem to solve that one. Um, I think it'd be nice if Ubuntu Core, I suppose, will sol- may solve the problem. If I mean, even they need a screen and a keyboard, I think, to log in at the moment. It'd be nice if there was some way of aut- automating the image building f- before you actually write it so that it, you know, you didn't have to do this manually.
0: But you're right. Once you get Ubuntu running, it's just Ubuntu running on a fairly slow-ish machine, but um, way faster than a Pi 3.0 um unfortunately it's just not as good as raspbian um i don't know if you've got much experience with raspbian on the pi 4 but there's just little touches that make it just that little bit better i mean there's no bluetooth there's no audio here um i did use a usb interface for audio and that worked fine but just you can really appreciate how far raspbian has come to know that you can get one image on a a card and put it in a Pi Zero or any of the others, and it just works perfectly. Um, Like, I had this weird problem. I've got this 1440p screen. And so you boot up the Pi, and it says it's 1440p, but it's only showing at 1080p, but half your fucking screen's cut off. And so then you go into the settings and select it to be 1080p, and it seemingly doesn't change, but it just makes the whole thing smaller. Whereas on Raspberry and it gets full 1440p, super crisp and everything. So, I mean, this is not designed to be a desktop. It's, this is a bit of an ugly hack is the bottom line. But I thought, right, I'm, I'm going to take this ugly hack to the next level. And so I installed Ubuntu Budgie, Lubuntu, Ubuntu Mate, LXDE, Plasma, and straight up Ubuntu. This is the first time I've ever seen GNOME running on a Pi. And it actually wasn't that painful. It was amazing, quite frankly, to see that. And all of them worked. But, um, I mean, I did make some notes for them, but, I mean, it's not that interesting, really. Plasma was just a nightmare. It was the worst. It was just completely useless. However, when I went into the settings and turned animations off, suddenly it became relatively useful. It wasn't the fastest, but it was pretty good and it remembered my screen resolution which most of the other ones didn't um, between reboots so i failing I don't know you used to have a, a Pi driving a vertical screen didn't you that was your PDF reader what's driving that now then did you just get a better graphics card
1: I got a better graphics card <laughs> <laughs> I got an AMD <laughs> graphics card so I don't have to mess around with any drivers um, um, yeah, I'd imagine probably with the graphics card in the Pi, it's probably just not quite enough, or maybe it's just not been tuned enough yet for the driver level, for the stuff that Plasma would be trying to do. But I mean, as you say, if you turn off the animations, you're in a much better place.
0: Yeah. So XFCE was pretty fast. BODGIE was just unusably shit, unfortunately. Um, LXDE... As you'd imagined because that's what uh, raspberry uses is very snappy um mate was just ubuntu mate really it was uh, pretty much like the 1804 and the pi3 really but slightly faster when you turn compositing off and a bit faster than the pi3 as you'd expect um but by far the winner was open box unfortunately there was no way to change the screen resolution so it was (laughs) unusable for me um but if i had just a 1080p monitor it would probably be all right but it was really super fast with it um but i just keep going back to raspbian and how good that is and how polished it is and i know that martin Wimpress has said that he's going to make an ubuntu mate image for the pi 4 over christmas probably and I'll be really interested to see how he gets on with that, because at the moment, if you just take the server image and install the Ubuntu Mate meta package on it, it's still a little bit ropey, and there's a lot of work for him to do. But I think he can do it, so time will tell on that one. We'll just have to see.
3: Yeah, and it'll be great getting people using it, playing with it. Part of the reason or problem is maybe not so many people are using it. I haven't been able to until now. I mean the Ubuntu, Ubuntu version on Pi.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would recommend that people do this just to try it out. I mean, it's only an SD card at the end of the day. Um, and just, just to play with it, just to see it. It's because we're, we're in this situation with the Pi 4 because it's such a different, um, system on a chip that there's not that many OS's for it at the moment. You're pretty much stuck with Raspbian. And so it's good to see that Ubuntu is available at least as a server for it. And server-wise, I mean, it's just what you'd expect. It's just Ubuntu server running on a fairly low-power device, really.
1: What really interests me is the fact that you have that extra computing horsepower and the speed out of the network card, which for things that are using computer vision, I think would be quite interesting because like i use one as a security camera but it takes so long to get the bloody files off the thing that you can't do it in real time really realistically speaking so it's got to go right to a local disc whereas if you can essentially get that straight off that thing at full gig i mean that's that's brilliant or you know if you're doing something really intelligent with it and doing you know facial recognition or whatever all that sort of playing around so i think i think that'd be quite cool i
0: don't think you're going to get full gigabit out of it i think if you sort of aim for 500 megabit, maybe and it might occasionally go a bit, you know, six, 700 or something, but you're not going to get 4,000 out of it.
1: Given the camera that's in it, I think you'd probably be not get any value of that anyway. I think you'd be well within your your limits of the camera output there with that anyhow, so that would be pretty cool.
0: So all in all, um, I'd recommend trying it out, but it's not production ready yet definitely for the desktop I think server wise you could put it into production though from what I saw of it it was all perfectly functional and um, I didn't do any benchmarks against the the Raspbian Lite or whatever but I'm just more comfortable with an Ubuntu server rather than Debian there's just a few little differences here and there that just make me more comfortable so if I was going to have a little NAS or something like that then I'd definitely be uh, installing the Ubuntu image and I don't know whether I'd bother with 64-bit really I don't know. I need to do more testing on it, but whether the benefits would really be worth it, I don't know. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Entroware. Go to entroware.com, and they are a dedicated Linux computer seller based here in the UK, and they ship their computers with Ubuntu or Ubuntu Mate pre-installed. They have a huge range of laptops, from affordable ones, which are ideal for email and browsing, all the way up to real powerhouses with dedicated graphics and even desktop-class CPUs in them. Almost everything's configurable with the amount of storage and RAM and what CPUs they have. And if you can't find something that's exactly right for you, then do get in contact with them and they'll do you a custom order. They also have a couple of servers and a range of desktops, including a small form factor machine and a really nice all-in-one. They ship to the UK, Republic of Ireland, France, Germany, Italy and Spain. And if you do buy one of the machines, then there's a little drop down at checkout. You can select Late Night Linux and they'll know that we sent you to them. So go to entroware.com for all your Linux computing needs. In KDE corner, this time, we've got an Indian newspaper switching to 100% fast.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it's not a shabby small amount of subscribers that they've got either. They're in the city of Kerala. They've got 14 offices and about 100 employees, and they've got a, a subscription rate of about 100,000. And I checked to see what that's comparable to. And the Irish Times is 120,000 for last year, daily record in Scotland is 134,000, and the Guardian was apparently 152. So, mm. I mean, it's not shabby. I mean, yes, there are there are loads that have millions, and that's the sun, but, I mean, fuck that. Yeah, and then Linux Voice had, what,
3: like uh, 23 subscribers, did it? <laughs> we had over 5,000. Oh, that's not bad. yeah. Well, I mean, my time in magazines and PC Plus used to have over 100,000 when I first started working on that.
0: Wow. But anyway, so this newspaper is using Kubuntu with a bunch of uh, fast like scribes and stuff then.
1: Yeah, they have a, a six, uh, six-man 6 team that have built this. Uh, essentially, it's a customized version of Kubuntu for them because obviously they got the languages that they have in the region, which I can't even pronounce, and they had to do a, like a Unicode migration, and they had to go from uh Adobe PageMaker uh to Scribus and they were gonna look they were looking at the Adobe product and it was a you could only get it in a monthly subscription and it just it was just far too cost prohibitive for them. um So they worked on a package for doing um character set conversions and then they used Scribus, the GIMP, Inkscape, LibreOffice, and uh SSHFS, which was an odd choice I thought, but that's their file share around the office. And uh yeah, so 14 offices, so I think it's pretty impressive project. That's excellent.
3: Yeah,
0: yeah. Good wind for Foss.
1: Um, K itinerary. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Two down, right.
0: What, what is it this time then?
1: Well, so I don't have a Google phone, obviously, but I have seen Google Now. I think it's called, where you can you know use the benefits of your phone, knowing things about where you're about to go based on either history or emails that you get in and say, oh, hey, you're that train ticket you booked. It's now. Um, so they've been working on that. And one of the developers said, you know, the Plasma integration plugin for Firefox and Chrome, um, that could parse a uh, website, email data and things like that. And a new pop-up feature was designed for that as well. And using that, they can then pop up a thing saying, oh, look, that's an airplane ticket. I've spotted that. Uh, would you like to add it to your calendar and add it to K-Itinerary and stuff like that? And, uh, it all ties in then with the mobile app that they've been working on as well. Um, so that is quite interesting. And it has gone into F-Droid. It's not quite available yet. And I mean, you can't use these right now. Um, they're in a, a future branch, but I mean, it's coming very soon. And, um, yeah, I think it's quite cool. So good to be able to compete with the, the very a- various aspects and, uh, important for Plasma mobile. So.
0: Yeah, fair enough. So what's this last one? Something about a bug, about screens and things?
1: Right. So I was bigging up how great the last release of plasma was and then i realized i got hit by a bug which after i rebooted would forget the positions of my three desktop monitors and it was really annoying and it wasn't just forgetting where they were it was actually part of them was on top of each other so when you move the mouse really weird shit was happening so i eventually thought you know they'll fix it in the next point release and they didn't and i went yeah that's my fault because i didn't log it so i went logged the bug found someone with a similar bug and attached a few things to that and uh that very day a developer pinged me and said I, I would love to see this could you go on a chat with me and we could work through it and so that evening i actually ended up on a Jitsi web conference call and sent him feedback and he got me to compile various bits of plasma and test it out and yeah got it fixed so it's coming in the release tomorrow for plasma so you're welcome it's almost <laughs> like i fixed it myself <laughs> <laughs>
0: Could have just used a render or something, but fair enough.
1: Well, yeah, no, I mean, it was an easy thing. You just you get open the settings dialog and just drag them into the position that you want them to or, yeah, use X-Render. But I just thought it's good to get it fixed properly for somebody who doesn't know what's going on. And, yeah, I mean, I never had bug feedback like that. Uh, Usually, uh, you know, you log something, you didn't give them the right info, they don't get back to it, whatever, but that was talk about service. So happy days. Good work, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Yep
0: all right well we better get out of here then and i don't like to make promises that i can't keep but i may possibly have a Pinebrook pro by the time we speak again so i might (laughs) talk about that but we'll see uh but in the meantime we'll be back in two weeks then i've been john i've been phelan i've been graham and i've been will see you later